good morning. Welcome, Southfield. It's a great day to be here in church worshiping. Um, I'm glad that all of you successfully turned your clocks back and you made it here on time. That's awesome to see you. Um, and it's nice that God gave us some sunshine this morning, nice and early, so that it'll help us get moving. We're going to continue in worship. This morning, Dennis is going to continue a series that we have for Lent, um, defining our relationship with God. And we started with, I'm forgiven. Last week was, I'm a follower. And part of being a follower of Christ is leaving the world behind and declaring that you're not your own anymore, but you're God's. And so that we're, that's what we're going to do in this song this morning. We're just going to declare whose we are and who is in control of our lives. Dear Lord, we place everything that we have, Lord God, everything that we are, into your hands. God, take our future. Take those dreams, God, that are in our hearts. Make them yours. Take the desires and line them up with what you want for our lives. Take our situations and work them out for your good, for your glory, Lord God. Take everything that we are. Take all of us, Lord God. Every part of us, our heart, our soul, our mind. And just transform them to be like yours. To be like you. We worship you this morning, Lord God. We're open to you. We bring our praises to you. And we give our hearts to you today. We worship you with all that we have. In your name, amen. God works everything out for his good, amen, in his glory. Everything, every situation that we're going through, every situation that we face, he works it all out. Dear God, we worship you this morning and we praise you, God. Take our hearts, open our eyes, Lord, to hear what you have to say to us this morning. In your name we pray, amen. You may be seated. Hey, it's good to see you today. My name is Dennis. This is... uh the one day of the year that I just, I really don't understand why they steal an hour of our sleep. We have a special deal on this morning. First of all, nobody's late. If you walked in late, you weren't late. Don't worry about that. Free pass today. The second deal is if your neighbor happens to start drooling or snoring, just uh, give them a gentle tug and you tap and, you know, wake them up politely. Don't, don't like point it out or anything. Yeah, it hurts losing that hour, doesn't it? Oh my goodness. Just something else. Hey, as you walked in, you received a folder. And on the inside of the folder, there's a card. I'd like to go ahead and take that out right now. And uh, we always ask you on the front side of that card to uh, put your name and at least one good way to contact you, whether it's, you know, you're a, a cell phone texter or you are a uh, Facebooker or you are a whatever. But one good way to contact you. And then we're going to be using the backside today. Uh, at the end of our time together talking. We've been telling you uh, really every week that you can use that backside, that square, for prayer requests you've gotten going on in your life. And, you know, we want you to understand we really, we absolutely believe that when we talk to God, God listens. I mean, prayer is very important. We take those cards during the week and, and pray them back to God on your behalf. Um, you can obviously pray yourself as well, but we really think it's important that you know that um, 
that we are there to, to support you in that way. So make sure you go ahead and do that. And I'll tell you, last week in particular, I was just amazed at the number of people that, that took advantage of that opportunity to, to ask someone else to support them in prayer. It's really, really important. So uh, we have been saying now for weeks we're in this season of Lent, this uh, 40-day journey to the cross, an opportunity for us to, to turn our focus and and really uh, focus in a way that maybe we don't all the time. A little bit more reflective, a little bit more introspective. Uh, we always, of course, want to be taking time to repent of our sins. That's not something that we wait for a particular time of year to do that. But we do have seasons where we're able to have a, a different focus, a, a different way of, of viewing our relationship with God. So we're using this uh, 40-day season as a, as a DTR, an opportunity to define the relationship that we have with God. And, you know, we've talked about the fact that uh, very often in a dating relationship, as a, as a guy and a girl are getting going, they'll, they'll be having fun together, but there comes this serious moment, serious moment where one will turn to the other and start asking those, those definitional questions, the ones that basically say, so is this relationship going to stay where it is, or is it going to move to a, to a deeper or more serious level? And I asked you to think about your relationship with God in terms of a DTR. Think about your relationship with Jesus this way. What if, what if Jesus were to be literally, physically present right now? You could, you could look him in the eyes, you, you could see his face, and he were to start to ask you some definitional questions. He were to start to ask you about your relationship with him and where it stands. What if, what if he were to ask you to say today, so, so what are we? What are we? What if he were to turn to you and say, so, so are we just friends? Or is there something more going on here? How would you respond to that question? Or he would ask you that question, when my father asks me what's going on between us, what do you want me to tell him? How, how should I convey this relationship to my father? Or he gets just really rather demanding and says, I need to know where this relationship is headed and I need to know now. Think about those questions for a moment. How would you define your relationship with God if you were telling Jesus right now? What would you say? What words would you use? Maybe what images would you use? What, what would you hold out to him as proof of the depth of your commitment to him? Now, in the past weeks, we've talked about some, some words that define our relationship. We use the word forgiven. We've come to that place in our spiritual journey that we've trusted in Jesus as our forgiver and leader. We are people who have our sins forgiven. And we have a renewed relationship with God because of that. And we talked last week about the fact that, that we're followers. That's a fundamental definition of our, of our relationship with God. We follow Jesus. We are people who are, who are pursuing constantly a fuller level of devotion to Jesus Christ. We're followers. Now, as you're thinking through words that you could use to define your relationship, would you ever use the term friend to talk about your relationship with God? Is that a word that would be common for you? God is my friend. I am a, I am a friend of God. I don't know. We may, we may use that word. Maybe it feels a little too familiar. Maybe it feels a little too casual. I mean, really? I, would I call myself a, a friend of God? 
One of the, one of the DTR questions kind of, I don't know, it bugs me a little bit. It confuses me. So are we just friends or is there something more happening here? I understand where that question is coming from. I understand the implications. The person is basically saying, you know, friendship isn't enough. I'm, I'm hoping for something more. I'm, I'm hoping this relationship goes, goes deeper. But, but truth be told, if we're going to fall in love, if we're going to get married, if we're going to have a lifelong relationship, wouldn't it be good if we started as friends? Wouldn't it, be, wouldn't it actually be good to be in a relationship with for someone for 50 years and you could say, oh, by the way... They were my best friend. Too often in, in dating relationships, we jump beyond the friendship level. and We just go straight into romance. We allow our, our hormones to start to tell us where we should be going instead of stopping long enough to think, hey, do I actually even like this person? Is this someone that I would want to spend three minutes with, let alone the rest of my life? One of the fortunate things in, in my relationship with Kim is we got going is we, we really waited on the romantic side, more because of her, but we really waited on the romantic side. I was in like from the first minute. I'm sorry, I was, I was done. But, but we waited long enough to think this thing through, to actually ask the question, so do we enjoy being together? Do we like each other? And we built a friendship first. And, and what's cool today, 26 years into this, I can, I can honestly say not only that I love her, but I like her. I like being together. I enjoy being with my wife. You know, I tease a lot about uh, Facebook. I really don't see it as the, um, the blame for all of the relational difficulties and political ills of our times, just most of them. I, you know, I... No, I'm pretty cool with Facebook. This is my page from a couple weeks ago. It was, it was Bob Coyne's birthday. Make sure you wish him a happy birthday. Turned 37. He doesn't look a day over 35. It's crazy. I mean, he's doing great. Facebook has had this way of kind of redefining relationships for us, hasn't it? I mean, people start dating. What do they say? We're Facebook official. And then every once in a while, you check Facebook, and the person's moved back to their single status. And you're like, oh, that's kind of a bummer. You know, what's going on there? And you're kind of wondering what's going on. Have you ever had somebody uh, drop you as a friend? You kind of go, oh, what? Or even better, they block you. <laughs> they just cease existing. You're like, well, did they die? Oh, no, they just don't like me. Oh, that rots. I look at this page. I have 663 friends, good friends. Close friends. People I could call and they'd be there. People who love me, who, who follow every... They lurk. They, they look at my every move. Now, granted, that's only about a third of what Justin has, but, you know, he pays people to be their friends. I, I'm going for the sincere method. I, friend, friend, Facebook friend. Are you kidding me? Uh, friend has become kind of a weak term in our times, hasn't it? I mean, we say someone's our friend. You, you can be next to somebody at a, at a football game, baseball game, give them a high five as a guy, and, hey, that's my friend. I don't know his name, but that's my friend. You know, we, we, we get mixed up on these words. That's an acquaintance. That's someone we spent a couple minutes with. Uh, and, and it's unfortunate that this word friend is just going to become kind of weak and wimpy because truth be told, friendship should be a, a beautiful, wonderful, deep, rich definition of a relationship that we have with someone else. It shouldn't be like just a, just a starting point, not just a foot in the door. It should be a, a tremendous definition. 
of our relationships with others. And honestly, it should be a definition of our relationship with God. So today, we want to reclaim its meaning, uh, the richness of its value, as it relates to our relationship with God. Today, I want us to be able to walk away and not only say, I am a friend of God, but I'm a friend to God. That we are truly in a friendship relationship. And so what I want to do as we start out is just look at some of the people in the Bible that were defined as friends of God. People who had that kind of relationship and see what was happening in their relationship. And can we then turn and say, yes, I'm a friend of God. Uh, one of the people you'll find that was a friend of God is found in, in Genesis chapter 5. It says, um, starting in verse 18, when Jared was 162 years old, he became the father of Enoch. After the birth of Enoch, Jared lived another 800 years, and he had other sons and daughters. Jared lived 962 years, and then he died. Uh, first of all, who's Jared? Well, this isn't the subway guy, and this isn't one of the beaker kids. This is, this is the guy in the Bible. Um, he has the second longest lifespan recorded in the Bible, 962 years. His grandson, Methuselah, beats him out by a few. He lives to 969. And in the middle is his son, Enoch. Now, let's keep going in this passage. It says, when Enoch was 65 years old, he retired and started collecting Social Security. No, when he was 65 years old, he became the father of Methuselah. And after the birth of Methuselah, Enoch lived in close fellowship with God for another 300 years, and he had other sons and daughters. He lived 365 years in all. Now, one of the things we've got to touch on is this thing of the ancient ages. I mean, you look at somebody that was 962, 969, you're going, wow, that's old. I mean, I can't imagine. I, I hope to make it to 80. Are you kidding me? There are a lot of explanations given for the ages listed early in the Bible. Some say it had to do with just the, the pure environment and the purity of the DNA line at that point, that, that that led to greater longevity. I really believe a great deal of it had to do with the fact that this is pre-flood, and pre-flood there was a different climate. We know that climate change affects health. And so there was something going on there with health. With health. But we, this is also pre-Genesis 6. And you remember this declaration from Genesis 6-3 when he's mourning the condition of human beings and they become so wicked. He says, Then the Lord said, My spirit will not put up with humans for such a long time for, their, for they are only mortal flesh. In the future, their normal lifespan will be no more than 120 years. Basically what he does out of his mercy is puts a, a time limit on human wickedness. I mean, imagine if Hitler had had the chance to live to 800. He says, this, this, we're going we're gonna to put a finish line on this. And he says, it'll be 120. Now, interestingly, I go ahead and watch today's show. I'm at 115, 116, 117. They inch toward 120 and then pretty much stop. Now, we're told our children will live to 150. We'll see how that meshes with this biblical statement that says, hey, their normal lifespan will be about 120 years, and then they will be gone. I want you to notice something in this, in this genealogy that's very, very important. You know, when we're reading genealogies, you know, those lists of names in the Bible, I don't know about you, but for the most part, I come to one of those lists of names, and I go, page two. I, you know, really, I mean, the names are long, they're hard to pronounce, and, all, you know, I, I'm not going there for a potential kid named Methuselah. Are you, well, I guess Jared was in there. I'd go for that. But anyway, 
But you're reading through these lists, and a lot of times it's just this guy begat that guy, and that guy begat that guy, and that guy begat that guy, and that guy begat that guy. So as you're reading through that rhythm of begats, and you come across a line like, after the birth of Methuselah, Enoch lived in close fellowship with God for another 300 years. You can't miss that little commentary. That little commentary is huge. That little commentary says, here's this long list of people, and this one person's unique, and you better check out this uniqueness. This is really, really important. The passage goes on to say, Enoch lived 365 years walking in close fellowship with God. Then one day he disappeared because God took him. He's walking in fellowship with God in a way that other people do not walk in fellowship with God. And it says, one day God took him. Now, you read the word took him and you might think, okay, he died. But if you go over to the book of Hebrews, we see a further explanation. In verse 5 it says, it was by faith that Enoch was taken up to heaven without dying. Brought up to heaven without dying. He disappeared because God took him. The definition is given there of what God took him means. And then he goes on to say, for before he was taken up, he was known as a person who pleased God. He was known as a person who lived in constant fellowship with God. And then comes this amazing verse on faith. And it is impossible to please God without faith. Anyone who wants to come to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. Can you imagine it being said of you that you were in such close fellowship with God that God said, come home now? I can't stand the separation, the physical separation between us. Come home now. I want to be with you now. That's the kind of relationship that Enoch had with God. So close, so intimate, that God said, you're coming home with me. You're coming home right now. Let's look at another friend of God. He's found in Genesis, father of our faith. But we're going to look at just a piece of his story found in the book of James, a little explanation of his life. It says, and so it happened, just as the scriptures say, Abraham believed God and God counted him as righteous because of his faith. He was even called what? A friend of God. He was called a friend of God. What we find in in James chapter 2 is that the definition of this friendship with God really has to do with a lifelong walk of faith and trust Abraham trusted God at a level that few humans are willing to trust. We're all able to trust him at that level, but few are willing to trust him at that level. Trusting to the point of that at 75 years old, when God says, I'm going to have you move. I'm not telling you where. Just pack your bags and walk. I'll tell you when to stop. It doesn't say he debated, he thought about it, you know, put out a fleece, did it. He said, boom, he got up, he went. He's told by God, you'll be a great nation, but he doesn't have a child yet. And he waits 25 years in his old age for a child to be born. And then when the child is a teenager, God says, do you love him or do you love me? Here's what I want you to do. I want you to sacrifice your son. And Abraham says, whatever you want, Lord, I'm willing to do whatever you say. I mean, my goodness, talk about tremendous, tremendous faith. And yet there's no doubt, as you read his story, he had times of weakness. He had times that he stumbled. He had times that he sinned. But there was a closeness with God there, a trust and a faith that could only be defined as friendship. Let's look at another friend of God. 
He's over in the book of Deuteronomy and in other places. This is Moses. These are the statements from the end of his life. Deuteronomy 34. So Moses, the servant of the Lord, died there in the land of Moab, just as the Lord had said. The Lord buried him. That's really cool. God buried him in a valley near Beth Peor in Moab. But to this day, no one knows the exact place. It says Moses was 120 years old when he died. Did you catch that number? How long will we live? 120 will be the max. Moses was 120 years old when he died. Yet his eyesight was clear. He had no bursitis in his knees. He was as strong as ever. I mean, this guy, he pulls out the Insanity DVD, and he keeps up with Sean T. all the way to the end. He's just zipping along. He's having a great time. 120 years old. This is the kind of life he has. It's amazing. God has kept him absolutely strong all the way to the end of his life. Now, I want you to zip through this to verse 10. This is, just, this is the commentary at the end of, the li- end of his life. This is, this is, if you could say it this way, what's on Moses' tombstone. All right? We see this verse that says, There has never been a prophet in Israel like Moses, whom the Lord knew face to face. Think of all the things Moses could have been known for. I mean, if, if he's chiseling his stone to go in the cemetery, think of all the things he could put on that. Help free the slaves from Egypt. Uh, there was that whole parting of the Red Sea thing raining manna from heaven, delivering the Ten Commandments, uh, all the, um, just the incredible, amazing leader he was that topped so many of the leaders of all times. And yet the one thing that defined him was that he was a friend of God. He was God's friend. He talked to God face to face like no one had ever talked to God. And I, want, I want to dig into this a little bit further. If you look at Exodus chapter 33, we see some further definition of this friendship that Moses had with God. Uh, verse, 33, verse 11 of chapter 33 of Exodus says, Inside the tent of meeting, the Lord would speak to Moses face to face as one speaks to a friend. Imagine that kind of relationship with God, just having this, this uh, face-to-face discourse And really, that's what we see as the first element of their friendship. They shared intimate communication. There was an intimate communication going on between between God and Moses. As you keep going in that passage, it says, One day Moses said to the Lord, You've been telling me, take these people up to the promised land, but you haven't told me whom you will send with me. You have told me, I know you by name, and I look favorably on you. If it is true that you look favorably on me, let me know your ways so, my, so I may understand more fully and continue to enjoy your favor and remember that this nation is your very own people. You keep digging into his friendship. It was very personal. God knew him by name. He wasn't just one of the numbers that existed at that time. He knew Moses by name. He looked on him with favor. He cared about Moses. And then this part where Moses says in his friendship, Tell me your ways. It's as if he's saying, let me in on your secrets. Let me in on your secrets. Let me know so that I can follow you more fully. Keep going in the passage. The Lord replied, I will personally go with you, Moses, and I'll give you rest. Everything will be fine for you. Then Moses said, I love this part. If you don't personally go with us, don't make us leave this place. 
How will anyone know that you look favorably upon me, on me and your people, if you don't go with us? For your presence among us sets your people and me apart from all the other people on earth. I mean, you look at this friendship he has with God, and you know what he's saying? Presence is huge. Presence is a huge part of friendship. That God is present with me, and I would not want to move from this very spot if God weren't with me. That's how important God's presence was to him. He had amazing friendship with God. So I want you to think about that moment. Think about your friendship with God. Think about what it's like. You know, it's funny. We tend to ask this question. Is God a good friend to me? We ask that of all our friends, don't we? When you're thinking about your friendship, has my friend been a good friend to me? Are they there when I need them? If I call, are they there at a moment's notice? Will they, will they help me out? Will they support me? Will they listen to me? Will they, will they give me advice but give me the right advice? Not the thing I don't want to hear, but the thing I do want to hear. Will they be a good friend to me? We study the Bible and we see the relationship of David and Jonathan. And everybody goes, man, I wish I had a Jonathan. I wish I had this person in my life that, that supported me and just was there for me and sacrificed for me. I, I wish I had that kind of person in my life. Have you ever asked it in the opposite direction? Am I a Jonathan to someone else? Am I a good friend to someone else? I, I think too often we only think about what's being delivered to us and we don't think a lot about what we're delivering to someone else. Now how about the relationship with God? We ask, is God a good friend to me? Has he come through for me lately? Has he given me the things I want? When I pray to him, does the, do the answers to the list arrive that day? How long have I been waiting for the answers? Is God even there? Is he even listening? We think, God, are you being a good friend to me or not? I want you to flip it. Have you ever asked, am I a good friend to God? I mean, really, have you ever thought about that? Are you a good friend to God? Am I a good friend? Am I a person that God would turn to, like Enoch, like Abraham, like Moses, and say, that's my friend? Not just, I'm their friend. That's my friend. I want to probe this a bit. I want to explore four areas of our friendship with God. And I, want you to just, I want you to ask yourself tough questions. Don't, don't glaze over this, Okay? I know, again, you lost that hour, feeling a little weary, wiggle your toes if you need to, do what you got to, put a smile on your face for a minute, there you go, rest your lips now, okay, you're good. Four questions, four areas of our relationship with God, how are you doing with these? Here's the first one, if you're a friend of God, you can't straddle the fence, you can't straddle the fence. You're either a friend of God or you're not a friend of God. Have you ever had one of these relationships? Maybe you're in a struggle with someone else, and one of your friends comes along and says, I don't really want to get in the middle of this. You know, I, I'm not going to take sides. I, I'm, I'm going to stay neutral. I'm going to stay neutral. We, we have that tendency sometimes in our relationships to want to stay neutral, to try to be friends with everybody rather than saying, no, i got to declare my allegiance. This is where I stand. This is who I stand with. You can't straddle the fence when it comes to God. I want you to think for a moment. Don't say it out loud, but be ready to raise your hand. Think in your mind, what is the word that is the opposite of being a friend? What is the word that's the opposite of being a friend? 
If the thought that came to your mind is the word enemy or some form of it, put your hand up. Yeah, obviously. If you're not a friend, you're an enemy. You're on the other side. Does that word describe your relationship with God? You're an enemy of God? You're like, oh, it's, no, I'm not an enemy of God. I mean, I don't know that I call him a friend, but I'm not his enemy. Uh, it's not the way it works. I mean, I know for us, we hear the word enemy and our politically correct ears and psyche can't quite handle that. We want to soften it up a little bit. But the Bible is clear. You are either a friend of God or you're opposed to God. You're either a friend of God or you're an enemy of God. You, you can't, there is no such thing as indifference toward God. You're either with Him or you're not. There are no relational shades of gray. You can't play both sides. Look at Romans chapter 5, verse 10. Just one example of, of many verses in the Bible. This one says, For since our friendship with God was restored by the death of His Son, while we were still His enemies... It doesn't say, while the bad people were still his enemies and the rest of the people were just kind of indifferent. It says, while we were still his enemies, while we were opposed to God, we will certainly be saved through the life of his son. That word enemy in Greek, the root word here is hate and hostility. It describes a hostile relationship toward God. You are either with him or you're against him. You see Paul in Romans and 2 Corinthians and Ephesians and Colossians using the word reconcile to, divide our, to, to, to define our salvation. God reconciles us to himself through the death of his son. Reconciliation comes when two parties are apart, when two parties are opposed to each other, when they are enemies. God reconciles us and brings us together. So if you were not a believer and you became a believer, you moved, every one of us moved from being an enemy of God to a friend of God. But here's the thing. It is possible to be a Christian and still be opposed to God. James 4.4. 4. You need this verse. It says, you adulterers. And he's not talking about people committing adultery. He's talking much more broadly than that. He says, you adulterers, don't you realize that friendship with the world makes you an enemy of God? I say it again. If you want to be a friend of the world, you make yourself an enemy of God. This is not a pre-salvation verse. This is written to people who believe in God. Who, for, for people who, who have a relationship with God through Christ. He's basically starting by saying, you cheaters. Not a very complimentary term. But he's saying, if you're in love with the world, the world system, the way the world does business, if you're in love with that, you've fallen out of love with God. You, you've lost your first love. And he's saying, that's being an enemy. You, you can't be two-timing God. God's exclusive. He wants all of you. He doesn't just want parts. He doesn't just want the, the Sunday morning part. He wants all of you, completely. You can't straddle the fence when it comes to your relationship with God. That, that's the definition of a friend. I'm not a fence straddler. I'm all in. I'm all in. Let me give you the second one, and that is this. If I'm, if I'm a friend with God, we share common interests. Can I put it this way? If I'm a friend of God, I love what God loves and I hate what God hates. I love what he loves and I hate what he hates. I was starting a book yesterday and the, the introduction, I love the way this fellow put this. He said, um, 
we need to have a keen attentiveness to God and a holy indifference to useless distractions. A keen attentiveness to God and a holy indifference to useless distractions. Do we love what God loves and hate what God hates? Look at these verses from Psalm chapter 119, 97, 101, and 104. It says, Oh, I love your instructions. I think about them all day long. I love your instructions. I have refused to walk on any evil path so that I may remain obedient to your word. And then he ends by saying, Your commandments give me understanding. No wonder I hate every false way. I mean, he uses the word hate. You think, interesting word choice. Why hate? Uh, study that word sometime. Go on to Bible Gateway and just look at the things God hates. God hates a lot of things. You say, well, that's not possible. Hating is bad. Now, some forms of hating are bad, but there are some things we should hate. There are some things that are just dreadfully wrong, and God says that's the only emotion that's proper at that moment. When you find out a child's been molested, you can't be indifferent toward that. There's a hatred toward that. Not toward the person necessarily, but, but toward that action. My goodness, these, these things raise uh, hatred in our heart. Do you, do you hate cancer? I'm not indifferent toward cancer. I can't wait to see it defeated. I can't wait to see it gone. We tend to tell our children you shouldn't hate, and I think in the process, uh, we do our kids a disservice. There are certain things you shouldn't hate. But there are some things that we need to have the heart of God on and say this is dreadfully wrong. Look at the book of Proverbs chapter 6. It says there are six things the Lord hates. It doesn't say there are six things the Lord kind of doesn't like. There are six things the Lord hates. Seven are detestable to him. Haughty eyes, lying tongue, hands that kill innocent, a heart that plots evil, feet that race to wrong, a false witness that pours out lies, a person who sows discord in a family. Go to Amos chapter 5. He says, do what is good and run from evil so that you may live. Hate evil and love what is good. If you're a friend of God, you share his interests. You have common interests with God. You love what he loves. You hate what he hates. Luke 14, 26 is a tough one. If you want to be my disciple, you must hate everyone else by comparison. Your father and your mother, your wife and your children, your brothers, your sisters. Yes, even your own life. Otherwise, you cannot be my disciple. Now you go, wait a second. Hate your family? Jesus used that word for a purpose. He wanted everyone in the, in, the, in the space to go, what? What did he just say? And the word choice he had there, we have, he has more than one word that he can use for hate in Greek. The word choice he has there is a comparative one. He basically says, by comparison, it should feel like you're hating the other people. You love me that much. That's how much you love me. Do we have God's interest, common interests with God? You can't straddle the fence. You need common interests. How about this one? Constant contact. I'm just in constant contact with God. I have a consciousness of his presence. A free-flowing conversation is there all the time. Again, going back to, you know, here's Enoch. He had fellowship with God for 300 years. You have Moses talking to God face-to-face as one would talk to a friend. Is that the way you would define the contact that you have with God. Psalm 1 talks, I love this passage. It says, Blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, stand in the way of sinners, or sit in the seat of mockers. It shows this progression when we're with wicked people. First we're walking with them, then we're stopping and loitering, and before you know it, we're sitting down and plotting with them. 
He says, no, his delight is in the law of the Lord, not his law. He meditates day and night. He's like a tree planted by rivers of water, streams of water, and it brings fruit in every season. A leaf never withers, even in the middle of drought. I don't know about your subdivision, my subdivision, there are those little lakes. Someone has planted some willows right along the lakes, and no matter how brown everything else gets, those willows do great right next to the lake. He says that's what your relationship should be with God. It should be so connected that no matter what storm comes in life, no matter how bad it gets, no matter what drought hits you, you still have inner strength that comes from your relationship with God. Let's give one other aspect of our friendship with God, and that is this. I can't stop talking about it. I can't stop talking about it. Literally, verbally, my lips speak about God. Figuratively, my life speaks about God. My, my actions betray my true love for God. Paul talks about this in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, where he talks about the idea that God has given us this, this privilege of reconciling people to himself, of calling people back to God. And he says, in our lives, we have the chance to talk openly about our relationship with God. And sometimes we go, oh, should I really do that? Is that going to be offensive? My God, do you talk about your friends? Do you talk about the things in your life that you enjoy? Do you talk about the things in your life that make a difference? This is what our friendship with God looks like. So again, the question this morning is not, is God a good friend to me? The question is, am I a good friend to God? And I want to give you those, those four terms again. Take your card out right now. Take your card out. Turn it to the big square on the back side. The four terms where I can't straddle the fence. I'm either in or I'm out. I share common interests with God. I love what he loves. I hate what he hates. I have constant contact with him. I mean, this friendship is, is growing and deep, and I can't stop talking about it. Think about those four for a moment. In Revelation 3.20, Jesus said, Look, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hear my voice and open the door, I will come in and we will share a meal together as friends. That passage for years has been taught, used to talk about bringing lost people to God. That's not what this passage is about. This passage is about people who already know God, who have allowed their love for God to grow cold, who have allowed their friendship to weaken. And basically it's saying, you've shut God out of your life. You've shut him out. We've shut him out in one of four ways. We've been straddling the fence with him. We have little in common with him. Our contact is broken. Or I never stop, I, I never talk about him ever. I just, it, whether it's with my lips or with my life, nobody would even know I have a connection with God. And what I'd like you to do today is, if you have the guts, Write down the one that's your biggest challenge in your relationship with God right now. What's the one that's straining your friendship? Again, this is a time for us to go deeper in our, we're defining that relationship. What's the one that's straining your relationship with God right now? Have you been a fence straddler? You, you know, you, you want to be a friend with God, but, but you're also, you're just loving the world way too much. You don't hate what God hates. Oh, you may disapprove, but you're not saying that is wrong. You're not drawing a firm line on what is right and what is wrong. Your contact with him, you know, Sunday, great. Beyond that, it's non-existent. Never talk about him, relationally or otherwise. 
Look, I stand at the door and knock. If you hear my voice and open the door, I will come in and we will share a meal together as friends. You dealing with that thing on that card today? That's opening the door. It's the chance to open the door and let him back in. And I'm calling on you today, restore your friendship with God. Bring your friendship with God back where it belongs. Let's talk to him right now. Father, I'm grateful for what Jesus did for us on the cross, for forgiving us. I'm grateful that we have the opportunity to follow him. So important. Today, God, as we've had the chance to look at our friendship, we realize for some of us that it's just, our friendship has grown strained. To call you a, a friend feels awkward. Maybe an acquaintance, someone we like, someone we hope will do good things for us. But we haven't thought a lot about how we're a friend to you. Lord, I pray today, whatever that is that we put on that card today, maybe we had to put more than one, but whatever we put on that card today, that we would look at that and we'd say, uh, it's, it's time to get this right. I want to open the door. I want to let Jesus back in again. I want to have meal, just like friends. Soften our hearts so that we'll do what you want instead of doing our own thing. In Jesus' name, amen. We get to share a meal with our friend right now. We get to share a meal with Jesus. We have servers coming, and they'll be passing to you bread and a cup. They're, they're, they're placed one inside of the other. Take them apart and uh, take the bread, drink of the cup. And as you do, uh, spend the next few moments. We don't very often get moments of quiet. Spend the next few moments thinking about your friendship with God. Don't leave here today still unable to say, yeah, I, I, they're still unable to say, yes, God is my friend. It's very important. Servers are coming right now to receive your offering and to receive your card as well. And, and I always want to remind you that as you place your card in there, I mean, that's a spiritual act. It, it's a way of saying, God, I'm giving this to you. I, I'm giving you... Uh, the issue I've been dealing with, I want to hand it to you, and, and it's my intention as I leave this place to, to live differently, to live a life that has changed. I wanted to point out again this week, uh, we, we went ahead and did a repeat on last week's folder. Uh, I realize from week to week, some people are here one week and not another, and this is just it's a practice that we want to get uh, going again as a church, and that is the opportunity to spend time in close contact with God on behalf of our church and other people in our church. So we've gone ahead and dedicated uh, the front side and the inside of the folder to 20 requests for, for Southfield, 20 requests for our community, 20 requests for, for, for our friends. And basically what we encourage you to do is go ahead in a time of prayer, take one time of prayer, 10 minutes uh, during this next week to pray. You go, wow, that's a long time. If you have 20 items and you spend 30 seconds on each, you'll pray for 10 minutes. 
That's pretty cool. In fact, what you'll probably find is if you uh, spend some real sincere time at that, before you know it, it's more than 10 minutes. And you never dreamed you could spend 10 minutes praying. But this is huge. It's just really important. I I can't stress enough. I don't want to get into sermon number two here today. But, you know, we don't just pray uh, because we're trying to get stuff from God. In fact, what I find more and more these days in my prayers My prayers aren't so much, God, fix this or or change this or whatever. My prayers are, God, help me to grow through what I'm going through and help my friends to grow through what they're going through. Uh, Let's face it, we don't always get the answer we want. And as a good parent, you don't always give your kid the thing they want. You give your kid the thing they need to grow. And that's what God does for us. So let's join in prayer together, not necessarily because, oh my goodness, God is going to check off our list of 20, and woo, isn't that great? Let's give him another list of 20 next week. But to make sure that by the time we've prayed, we've actually drawn closer in our friendship with God. Would you stand with me right now? We're going to pray to him as we leave today. Now, God, as we uh, go our way today, we are grateful again for the fact that, that Jesus made friendship with you possible. Prior to his death on the cross, we could only be described as your enemy. But now we can be called friends of God. You extended friendship to us. And now, God, I pray that more and more as our journey continues, we will be able to be aptly described as people who are your friend. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You have a great morning.